0: Listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at CentralSanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Grumbach. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures, here below. Take your copy of God's word and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and in a moment we're going to begin in verse number 13. Uh, if this is your first time here, we are just so grateful that God sent you to worship with us here this morning, and maybe you weren't, uh, didn't have an opportunity as you came in at our uh, First Impressions area to uh, fill out one of these Next Step cards, but if this is your first time here in the pew back in front of you, you can take one of these cards, and your next step is to fill out whatever information you'd like to share with us, and take that to one of our connection boxes or our Next Steps room, which is downstairs uh, on your right as you uh, go into the the foyer, and that would be a tremendous blessing. And maybe you're here today and you would like to take the next step of baptism or getting involved in a group or serving, or maybe you heard today about the mission opportunity in Honduras or maybe some other place in the world. We would love to help you connect with that. And also, as soon as this service is over in the Fellowship Hall, as you already heard, we want to encourage you that those who feel called to go on. On mission for the Lord to Honduras, we would love to have you join us in that mission for God. And also, everyone is called to be a missionary, uh, not just the professionals. And one of the ways that you can go out is by inviting people to join you this Saturday for our fall festival. And so please make sure to pick up one of these cards, invite your friends, neighbors, relatives, associates, and enemies. Bring them in and have them come. Now, I want to celebrate one thing. We have a partnership in Western Europe. We are working with uh, our IMB personnel that is there and uh, in Amsterdam and we are praying uh, for God as we are we're praying for God to help us as we hope to plant a church in Amsterdam in the next few years and uh, we just found out this week that two people that had migrated from North Africa came to Amsterdam heard the gospel and became brothers and sisters in Christ this week so let's <laughs> praise the Lord for that amen we're thankful for that. Well, let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. You are awesome. You are the one that we came to worship. Thank you, Father, for our kids' ministry and all the different things that are going on here. Father, we thank you for the little babies you're sending in our church and just, God, how you are blessing us with lives being changed. We thank you for new lives. Uh, All the way over in Western Europe, those who have come from the Middle East, from a Muslim background, and come to find the truth in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would just move in our church to be a mighty army sent out to the nations to tell others of you. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 3, verse 13. James 3, verse 13. Would you stand as we read God's word as we prepare for another four-hour sermon? James chapter 3, verse 13. Scripture says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You may be seated. Have you guys ever heard of the Florida Man Challenge? Some of you have, some of you haven't. It's, it's really remarkable how few people have. But if you want to see the Florida Man Challenge, if you'll go to the Google machine and go to, go to google.com and you type in Florida Man and your date of birth. Not, not your year of birth, but just your date. Uh, mine's February the 7th, so you get that on your calendar not to forget. But you type that in. You'll get a bizarre story of people from Florida, Florida, a Florida man, and a headline that what he did on that day, in about 365 days a year, you're going to have a story about some sort of crazy, bizarre thing a Florida man did, because we live in a very crazy state. And so for some of you that are maybe trying to figure out what I'm saying, let me give you some headlines of some Florida men here uh, that will maybe help you. One is this, on January the 2nd, 2019, a Florida man doesn't get a straw. This is the headline. A Florida man doesn't get a straw, attacks McDonald's employee. Okay. Florida man is arrested after hitting his dad with a pizza because he was mad that he helped birth him. (laughs) A Florida man was arrested for attempting to assault his girlfriend with a Bible claiming he was trying to get rid of the devil. A Florida man was charged with assault with a deadly weapon after throwing an alligator through a Wendy's drive-thru window. A Florida man was electrocuted trying to remove a bird from a power line. A Florida man was arrested for going door-to-door picking fights. (laughs) Now here's the best one, and this happened in Daytona Beach. Just a month ago. A Florida man flees from cops and is brought down by his own pants. (laughs) So what it means, what this all means is this is that in Florida, especially among Florida men, we desperately need the wisdom of God. (laughs) The book of James has been called the, the book of wisdom or the book of Proverbs in the New Testament. James is a pastor, and he pastors the church in Jerusalem, but he is sending a letter. This is what the entire epistle is about, sending a letter to, uh, to people who have been dispersed and distributed uh, among the Roman Empire who were living in horrible conditions. And he's writing to them, encouraging them, but also challenging them. And in this book, he gives a very practical approach in his writing. And, and, and what he does is he, he teaches, the, the foundation of this passage is that he's teaching us that true faith, Genuine faith in Jesus Christ demonstrates itself in a changed life. So as we've looked at these past few weeks, we we noticed that that to James, true faith is more than a mere profession. It is more than just saying, I am a Christian. True faith is a life that looks different. A couple of weeks ago, I quoted to you Alec Mortier, who is a commentator on this passage, and he said that saving faith results in a distinctive life. A thing as potent as the new birth, if it has taken place, cannot be hidden. It cannot fail to make its presence felt. To have the life of God in us and remain unchanged is unthinkable. To have God's life in you, but yet to remain unchanged to James is unthinkable. So James, just in the past few verses before this, address the issue of our words, the issue of our tongues. And he connects the main problem not being our tongues, but being the root problem, which is our hearts. So this morning, I want you to get what we're trying to accomplish this morning, and that is this, is that the only way our tongues, our words, can be controlled is when our hearts are healed. That's what we looked at last week. And our heart needs to be healed by the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of this world. And when our hearts are changed by the wisdom of God, it will change how we talk to and treat other people. So let's look at three things this morning as we look at true wisdom. The first is I want you to look at is the definition of true wisdom. What is true wisdom? In verse 13, James asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? James begins this section with a question. And he has all throughout this book been pastoring this group of people through questions. He wants to know how can someone, how can we in the church or how can we outside of the church recognize someone who is truly wise? So like what are the credentials for being wise? Some people think, well, being wise is the person that's most educated or maybe the the wise person is the most successful or the wealthiest or the famous or the best communicators or the oldest. The reason why this is a big question is because in James's day, wisdom in the first century, Greek culture, was everything. If you were known as wise, you would be a rock star. In our day, we, you can be famous for having a good voice. You can be famous for athletic ability. You can be famous, as some are, for being famous. But in this day, people were famous for being wise, And people would flock to people that were wise and they would pay huge sums of money and they would be well-wanted and they would be famous. And so to the first century Greek, wisdom was everything. It was important. Rhetoric was king. So many people in that day wanted everyone to think that they're wise. They wanted people to see them as being a wise guy. And so James here asking this question is not asking for a show of hands. He's not saying within this epistle, as as being read among the believers, he's not asking for the self-declared wise and understanding to raise their hands and to boast in their wisdom. What he is doing is he wants to give them a proper view of what true wisdom is. He wants to define to them what it is in a way that helps them see what it is and that they absolutely need it. And so he says here, who is wise... And understanding among you. And then he says that by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So, what he says is what he's been saying all throughout this passage is that it is not enough to just say you have something. You can say you have a lot of things. But here, you have to show something. It's not enough to say that you are wise. You need to show that you're wise. And how can you show that you're wise? Not by showing your credentials, not by showing your diplomas. Not by showing your IQ scores. True wisdom is seen by a life, not just words. It is lived out in day to day, everyday life. It's not meaning that knowledge is useless, but wisdom is far more than knowledge. It is not just audible, it is visual. Some have defined wisdom as the art of skillful living that is, the ability to take things that you know and apply it, the ability to take something abstract and bring it into reality. A wise person is someone who sees things that others do not see and applies it to their lives so that they can live well. Some people have this notion that true wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God, is, as J.I. Packer says, the, the false notion is that some people believe that true wisdom is to see things as God see it, sees it and that God gives you insight to the meaning and purpose of every event that's going on in your life or the, the, what is to come. But Packer says that that's not what the wisdom of God is like. It's not that you just have a knowledge of everything that's going on around you. He says that the true wisdom is like driving a car. And when you drive a car, as you're driving, you don't necessarily worry why the road is curved this way. You're not worried why there's a stoplight here or a speed limit sign there or why the person in front of you is driving so slow. What you simply do is you try to see and do the right thing in the actual situation that presents itself. So Packer says that the effect of divine wisdom is to enable you and me to do just that in actual situations in life. Being wise, this is a good word, being wise does not mean that you understand everything, but that you do the right thing as life comes along. You don't know everything that's going on, but when something comes into your life, you know whether you need to turn right or turn left, whether to stop, whether to speed up. That's what wisdom is. Now, I want to just say, as I was working through this, wisdom is still very hard to define. It's hard to define wisdom. But you know it when you see it. You know when someone's wise when you see it. And some of the things that we think are wise are not really wise. But here's what James says. He says here that you are to show it through a good conduct. This word good conduct, we get our word calligraphy from. Calligraphy is attractive handwriting. So he's saying that you show that you're wise by your attractive lifestyle, a life that is attractive. And he says that you do it by your attractive life in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is not wisdom, meekness is not weakness, it's not passivity, meekness is humility. It is submitting, and submitting to God, and submitting to God's word. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. One of my favorite passages is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. It's a posture of humility. Posture of teachability. It's meekness. Now, do we know anyone in Scripture who is meek? Well, Moses was, the Bible says, one of the meekest men on the face of the earth. But there's another one who was meek, and he said, Come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. It's Jesus. You want to show that you're wise? Do it by an attractive life that's humble. In other words, if you want to show humility, be like Jesus. That's the essence of what what wisdom looks like, is Jesus Christ. So a wise person is someone who is like Jesus, someone who is attractive, not repulsive, someone who is gentle and meek and lowly where people can come to you and they find you approachable and you give them rest and you give them advice, that is a, a person of great wisdom. So what we find, and I would, listen, this is a thinking person sermon this morning, that we have to understand that true wisdom and humility are inseparable. You cannot say that you are wise and be arrogant at the same time. If you've ever read the leadership book, its I think it was published in 2003. It's a, it's a good read. It may seem dated, but it has some great principles. It's a book called Good to Great is written by Jim Collins. And Jim interviewed 11 great companies in the early 2000s, and he interviewed the CEOs of those great, well-known American companies. And he, he wanted to kind of find what are, what's the difference between good companies and great companies, and what was, what was that one thing that seemed to be different. And he, he said that the one thing that he noticed of all the CEOs, all the leaders of these great companies, is that they, all the leaders had one common thing, and that is that they were humble. They didn't seek their success... They, they rather, what he noticed is that they would share the credit for their success and they were the first ones to accept blame for any mistakes. Humility. So that's the definition. Now I want to go back to this. Wisdom is hard to define, but you know it when you see it. So then James wants to then describe what does it look like. How can you determine whether you see someone is wise or not? And so he now talks about the demonstration of true wisdom. What does it look like? Now, in verse number um, 14, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now, here we have this this word, but, and it's a conjunction. And conjunction, junction, what's your function? And the function is, is to contrast... Wisdom from above and false wisdom. Because one thing that you'll note that James never calls the wisdom or the collective thinking of this world true wisdom or even wisdom at all. But what we do know is that the collective thinking of this world, the wisdom of this world, masquerades itself as true wisdom. It is counterfeit, but yet it is a dangerous substitute. So, how can you determine the difference between the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below? And how you do it is it wisdom? whether from above or from below, demonstrates itself in how people live. So in verse 14, he says, but if you have jealous, bitter, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, you're not as wise as you think you are. If you are self-focused, if you are destructive, if you inwardly cannot stand to see anyone else in a position of influence that you want, if you live out Your life for number one, if you have zeal for self promotion, if you constantly envy other people, if in your mind you say, I long to place me where God has placed you, if you crave to promote yourself and you see people as a means rather than an end, that's not wisdom from above. You're deceiving yourself, you're lying, you're lying to yourself. He says the source of that kind of thinking is this, 15. He says it's earthly. That is this world-only wisdom. The kind of thinking that is full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is a this world-only wisdom. A wisdom that does not consider eternity but only lives for the here and the now. So the decisions that this kind of wisdom make is only for those decisions in which you feel like are going to affect your life the best now. So the world's wisdom says this, God wants me to be happy. Have you ever heard anybody say that to you? I've been praying about it for a long time and I just come to the conclusion that God wants me to be happy. The question is, where do you find that in the Bible? There's not one point in which God says, be happy as I am happy, thus says the Lord. No, he says, be holy. As I am holy, says the Lord. And a lot of people, they are pursuing happiness. And I know that the, the, uh, the, the, the founding fathers wrote that, that we have the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But I found that in my life that if I'm chasing after one thing, if I ever get that one thing that I'm chasing, whenever I get it, I'm not that happy with it. How many people have you heard of that have reached the top of their profession, reached the top of what they find in their position, and they get to the very top, and they realize that there's nobody there? That they're empty and broken, just as empty and broken as they were pursuing it. Once they catch it, they're still empty and broken inside. But this world and this world's wisdom says that life is just what you see here and now, and it is a wisdom with a limited perspective. And what this world's wisdom thinks is best is not always what's best. This world's wisdom is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die, that this world is all there is. It's past Sunday, and I don't watch this show a lot, but I was watching with my wife uh, the television show on CBS called 60 Minutes. And they were giving a, a story towards the end of the, the, the program about a group of people who were testing uh, testing um, a psychedelic drug and um, they were they were testing it on people who had anxiety issues depression uh, were struggling with addictions and and they they were testing this out because they, they were seeing that people who went on this psychedelic trip by taking these drugs these drugs when they caught it to the other side they, they they didn't have the same addiction anymore uh, they weren't as anxious anymore they were a different person. It's almost, like if it re, it's almost as if it rewired their brains. And so they were talking about just how great of a thing this is. And I guess we, we all should just go get tripped out on magic mushrooms. I don't know. But they give this example of a lady named Carrie Pappas. And Carrie is terminal lung cancer. And she took this trial on this psychedelic drug and the reason why she did it is because they, she wanted to deal with her anxiety. She was afraid of dying and she was afraid of living. And so she took this drug and this treatment. It's in a very controlled environment. And, and, and she took this treatment and she said that when she took this, this medicine that she had a vision. And it was kind of a crazy vision that she describes on all this. But she said as, as she was looking at some sort of crazy thing that she was describing, all she could hear loudly was these words that said this, right here, right now, right here. Right now. now it sounds, I think that's also a song, isn't it? Right here, right now. But she said it got louder and louder and louder. And, and she was just there in this psychedelic trip state. And she came through the other side and she looked at the, the camera there on 60 Minutes. And she says, This is what I learned from that vision. She says, I learned that life is meaningless, and that we have no purpose. All we have is right here and right now. That's the thinking of this world. And you say, Pastor, what does this have to do? How does this help me? Do you understand that this is the thinking, the collective thinking of our world right now? We in the church may think we don't think that way. We would never appropriate that kind of thinking in our lives. But we have to understand that when your children go to school, they're more than likely going to have teachers or professors who this is their thinking. That it is right here, right now, that's all there is. Listen to the mantra of the television commercials when it comes to buying stuff that you don't need. Think of what politicians are saying. Think of what celebrities are saying. They are saying, this is all there is. We have to get as much as we can out of this life. And the wisdom of God says, think about eternity. Think about what will happen 10 billion years from now. Don't make decisions based on the earthly. Make decisions based on eternity. And yet we have people who call themselves believers living under the false impressions of the earthly wisdom and it causes people to do crazy things. All of us are guilty of this. In which we will spend money we do not have to impress people we do not like. Or buy things that we cannot afford, so that we can enjoy them right now. We get into bad relationships, destructive relationships, because we have this mindset, we don't want to be lonely. We get out of good marriages, because we're not happy, because we are seeking the right person. And let me just tell you something, you never marry the right person. The right person doesn't exist. There's only been one right person and he was crucified on the cross. And people will do things and they'll they'll do things that they know aren't right, but they do them because they think it feels good. Because their motto of the day is YOLO. You only live once. He says, not only is it earthly, but it's unspiritual. It's fleshly. It's not from the Holy Spirit. It rejects authority. We, if we ever lived in a day that rejected authority, it's today. But not just authority, an anti-authoritarian. But it rejects the authority of God. It's arrogant, it's proud, it's ambitious, it's selfish. It's the mindset that says that God, if He exists, is for me and He's about me. And I have my preferences that he gave me, and therefore I should live my life to fulfill those preferences. And my preferences are my preferences, and your preferences are your preferences. And you go find whatever preference you want to prefer. That's unspiritual. But then he goes and he says it's demonic, it's the doctrine of demons. Notice we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. That when we are selfish and self-centered and arrogant, we are promoting a counterfeit wisdom of demons. That false wisdom is fueled by lies that we believe. How many lies are we told about God? About ourselves, About how life should be lived? We have a day and an age in which we listen to the lies, listen to the rhetoric that you're hearing when it comes to the issue of Abortion. They don't say it's abortion anymore. They call it a choice. And yes, it's a choice to have a live baby or a dead baby. But we don't call it abortion, we call it a choice and reproductive rights. Think about how our culture has said things about certain issues and we change it so that we don't feel as bad about ourselves. That's the doctrine of demons. That's the wisdom of this world. And notice what he says in verse 16. And listen, I knew this was going to be a silent sermon. It might be a space-making sermon before it's over too. I don't know. For jealousy and selfish ambition exist. where this false wisdom exists. There will be disorder. And every vile practice. You, You want to know why? Our schools are struggling. You want to know why? Our society is crumbling. You want to know why churches are dying? The wisdom of this world has infiltrated. And it has dangerous consequences. And for you, my friend, to call yourself a believer, to embrace the wisdom of this world is to your own demise. Because the wisdom of this world doesn't lead to a Utopia. The wisdom of this world leads to brokenness and chaos and hurt and self-harm and emptiness, unhappiness, sadness and evil. There's a way that seems right to man. The end thereof is death. Then he goes to verse 17. And here we have another conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? It's a contrast. It contrasts the wisdom from below... The wisdom from above. Notice the different source. The wisdom from below is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. Here he says the wisdom is from above is from a different source, and that is what he says in chapter 1, verse 5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. It's from God. It's from above. It's not limited to this earth. It's not limited to the unspiritual or the demonic, but the wisdom that we need is a good gift from the Father of lights. And this glorious gift of God's wisdom is what transforms us. Do you understand? Listen, this this sermon, you may say, Pastor, this is too out there for me. No, it's not. This is exactly where you live every day. You and I desperately need this wisdom. We don't need the world's wisdom. We need this wisdom. And how do we know we got this wisdom? Doug Moo talks about that and he says this. He says, like true faith, true wisdom is identified by the quality of life one produces. It's revealed. Well, notice how he says it's revealed. First, it's pure. The word pure here can mean unmixed. We think of purity in in regards of sexual purity, and it can be that. I think a good word to use there could be chaste. It's first chaste. But the thought here of pure is to have a resolute devotion, to have a single focus, a wholehearted devotion to the Lord, not seeking to please men, but seeking to please God. That God is your one thing. If wisdom that you have is from above, you will know it's from above because your single focus is above. You get that? And it's pure. It's unmixed. It's not double-minded. It's pure. The purity that comes from belonging to God is the fount from which other goodness flows. So then it's peace-loving. It's peaceable. False wisdom brings strife. True wisdom brings peace. False wisdom breaks people apart. True wisdom brings people together. If you ever want to know whether your wisdom is from God or from this world, how does it affect your relationships? The reason why a wise person is peace-loving and peacemaking is because they love peace more than they love their own ambition. See, when you are all about you and you're all about number one, it's hard to make peace with people that are opposed to you. But I want you to understand that this peace is not at the expense of truth, but it's peace that comes from the truth. So many people, even in our day, think that you can have peace by just sweeping things under the rug. That's not true peace. True peace does not come through compromise. You cannot compromise with sin and maintain peace. You can, be, you, can, you can try to say to others that we're going to have peace and overlook these things, but until you get it out on the carpet and you deal with it and you wrestle with it with the grace of God, it will never bring healing. As a parent, I am acutely aware as my children are getting older of the need to not just be their friend, but be their parent, and to be their parent is to tell the truth. But so many times we default to placating our children and compromising with our children because we want to have a happy day. But yet there will be no true lasting peace in the Brumbach home until there's truth. And God help us all. It's gentle. True wisdom is gentle. The word here is considerate. It's a willingness to yield to others, but it's also an unwillingness to live only by the letter of the law. That's what real wisdom is. It doesn't just go by the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Do you all understand what I'm saying? Is that so many times we hold people to these, this letter of the law and we don't show that look at the spirit of the law. But, but a real person of wisdom doesn't use harsh words. But they come alongside somebody with gentleness. They're they're empathetic. They're, They're compassionate. They're gentle. They're gentle. Open to reason. Teachable. Willing to listen. If you have somebody that has a different opinion than you or a different thought than you do, you're opening to listening to them and to learn from them and maybe even change your mind because of it. Not being so hard headed. Not being so stubborn, but considerate and willing to make changes without compromising the truth. That's what wisdom is. Men, you want to be wise? Don't be a knucklehead. Be willing to listen. A fool is someone who is unwilling to listen and learn from other people. There's a story in the Old Testament that it's it's about David and this guy named Nabal. And Nabal was a wicked man and David was just there and he was on the run from Saul and, and, and Nabal had a bunch of sheep and a lot of shepherds and they were kind of unprotected and David had a, a group of kind of mercenaries and to a degree they were kind of his mighty men and so it was just a, a slow season in David's life and so he took the time to help Nabal and protect him and protect his property and protect his shepherds and and so he just did that and and, and towards the end, towards the harvest time, he, he went to Nabal and he says, hey, you know, we've been watching your guys for a, quite a long time. Would you mind kind of feeding my guys and sharing in some of the spoil? And Nabal just gets so mad at David and says, who, who do you think you are? I didn't ask you to do this. I'm not going to give you anything. You guys can take off. And David got ticked off. That's in the Bible. He got ticked off. And he was wanting to kill Nabal. And there's this lady named Abigail, who is Nabal's wife. And she comes to David and she says, Listen, my husband's an idiot. But if you go and you kill him, you're gonna look like an idiot. Don't do that. You're above that. Don't 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 go to his level. And what David didn't kill Nabal? Nabal hears about this, and what does he do? He gets mad. He gets angry. And Abigail says, listen, don't get angry, don't get mad. And he didn't listen. And what happened? His anger killed him. He didn't listen to reason. And he died. And you know what Nabal's, the name Nabal means? It means fool. Don't ever name your kids Nabal. They might grow up to be up to their name. But he wouldn't listen. A wise person is open to listening, full of mercy and good fruits you love your neighbor and you show your love in action it's compassion in action it's more than wishing someone well but it's doing something to help them be well a wise person instead of asking what does this person deserve a wise person asks what does this person need impartial unwavering doesn't go back and forth doesn't play favorites sincere without hypocrisy, that a wise person doesn't play a part, they're the same in public as they are in private, they have no masks, no hidden agendas, they're transparent and dependable to give sound advice. That's the wisdom from above. In verse 18, he says that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. False wisdom brings disorder in every vile practice, true wisdom brings a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness in the lives of others, and in your own life. It will make you attractive. It will attract you to other people, or it will attract other people to you, and will compel them to listen and trust the gospel that you preach. The reason why some of you are struggling to be an effective witness for Jesus is because you're not attractive. Not in a physical sense. If that's the case, I would never want anyone to Christ. But in a Inward beauty, a wisdom that is attractive. Notice what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. He says that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise, that there is, a, this, there is this attractiveness that you bring life, that you give life, and that's attractive to people, and people want to listen. That's what wisdom looks like. You know, as I read through this, I I read through this passage, I can't help but think of the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes, where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are are the meek, for they should inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. When we exhibit true wisdom, we look like Jesus. And when we exhibit the wisdom of this world, we smell like hell. So the question is, how do we get it? That's the last point, the desire for wisdom. How do we get it? You know, as I read through this list, I say, you know what? There's some areas I'm doing good in. There's some areas that I fall short in. And maybe you're here today and you listen to this message and hopefully you've been paying attention the whole time and you're going through this list you say, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. That, that, that. Well, if that's you this morning, then, then I do have one thing I think you should look back at and that's being open to reason. <laughs> James has already said that we stumble in many ways. We are all prone to follow the wisdom of this world. So the question is, how do we get the wisdom of God? And I'm glad that you've asked, because James has already answered that question in chapter 1, verse 5, when he says it this, if any of you lacks wisdom, that's me, let him ask God. Since the true source of wisdom is God, and we're unable to produce this wisdom on our own, we have to ask God for it. got to ask well, here's some good news. He gives generously to all. God's a generous God. He gives, and he, gives and he 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 gives. And listen, in your life, can you not say that it's true that God gives you way more than you deserve? Wow. Some of you guys think you deserve more. I can testify right now that everything God gives me, I don't deserve. He's a generous God. But listen... He also is not only Jewish, but he gives it without reproach. He doesn't criticize us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't say, You idiot, you fool. I told you. This is what you're to do. and You didn't do it. So no wisdom for you. He's not saying that. He gives. But in chapter verse 6 he says, But let him ask in faith. If you want wisdom, ask in faith. Be desperate for it. Don't hedge your bets wholeheartedly desire it, and God will give it. And you know what keeps us from God's wisdom? You know the reason why you make foolish decisions? It's because you don't think you need God's wisdom. Because in your pride, you feel like you have it all figured out. And when you think that way, you're following the wisdom of the world because you do not see your brokenness. So what breaks us of this pride? It's the gospel. Because the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, is the wisdom of God on display. It's not just something that's abstract. It's not just some sort of philosophical thing. It is something in concrete that we see God's ultimate wisdom in the cross. How is it that a holy God could ever save a sinful man or woman? How is it that God could work His justice and His mercy together? How can His law and love come together? And it comes together through a tapestry of grace weaved by God. And the cross of Jesus Christ, because on the cross, law and love, justice and mercy met together to reconcile us so that we could have a relationship with Jesus. See, the wisdom the wisdom of God that designed the universe and laid its foundation was ultimately to bring us those who are sinful and undeserving to a relationship with Him through Jesus. That's how it happens. So let me end with this, and I know all God's people are saying, Amen. Who is the wise and understanding in this room? You want to know who the wise and understanding in this room is? Not those who have academic credentials, not the wealthiest, not the successful, and not the oldest. The wise and understanding in this room are those who are humbled by the grace of God, who seek to live a life of meekness before God, who are grateful to God for His transforming grace that makes them more and more like Jesus, and they show it through their good works. That is a wise person. That's a wise person. That's a wise person. And that's what I want to be, and I hope that's what you want to be. I hope that's what you want for your kids, for your grandkids. Oh, my soul, how many of us that are parents, or how many out there are out there that care for their kids' education or their sports acumen at the expense of their spiritual walk with God? What good is it for your kids to have a Ph.D. and spend eternity in hell? What does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? What is I believe in my heart of hearts is this. Is that wisdom begins when you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it grows as you deny yourself and trust in Jesus. That's how you get wise. You know what's going to keep a lot of you from heaven? Is your pride. What's going to keep a lot of you from living the life God's called you to live is pride. And I don't know about you, every time I feel like I kill it, it just keeps popping up. These little amoebas of pride that grow in my heart, I have to crucify every day.